You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Ridgecrest Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri. To connect with us or learn more, visit us online at ridgecrestbaptist.org. So if you will, stand with me for just a moment, and we're going to read verses 17 through 26. Stand with me as we stand on the solid rock of God's word, and we hear the last part of the story, the last half of Peter's sermon. He says, and now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing, and I love this phrase, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your father, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, I pray that you will help us to see in your word your power. And, Lord, it is a power so great that it can turn us from our wickedness, that we may be righteous in your sight, that we may experience your holiness. Oh, God, when we walk into church so often, we are not thinking about the miraculous. We are not thinking about your power. We come in with many, many earthly, worldly concerns, as Rich was talking about a moment ago. And so today, Lord, I pray that you will bless us. I pray that you will open our eyes to the larger spiritual reality that surrounds us. God, we want to see you move, and we ask for you to do it in our midst today. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. This morning in my study, these are the words that God wanted me to speak to you, first and foremost. God wanted me to say to this crowd, to each one of you, you matter to God. You matter. Your life is important. Your heart is important to Him. And let me say, you are important. You matter to God, and that is why He moves. I would say the most simple answer to the question, what is the purpose of a miracle? The purpose is that you matter. Every single one of you matter. And some of us, we can come to know him in what I would call like a regular way, coming to church, being brought to church, hearing the gospel, believing in the gospel. But some of us need to be shook up a little bit more, and that's why God allows miracles to happen. He allows miracles to happen because from time to time, we need a breakthrough. And I believe that God wants to bring us a breakthrough. I also believe that God makes the most of a miracle. I believe that, that when God does something great, 
He's not going to let one ounce of the energy go away. He's going to make the most of the miracle. In fact, that's what we see here in Acts chapter 3. We see a miracle take place. We see a life changed because that life mattered to God. That lame person that the world had written off, that person mattered to God. But it's amazing to me that the miracle really doesn't stop there because the miracle continues in the preaching of the word. God wanted to use the miracle to reach lost people, people who did not believe in Jesus, people who were uh, literally opposed to Jesus and to the gospel. Peter preaches this message, and people are saved because God likes to make the most of a miracle. I think miracles also reveal our habit of underestimating spiritual realities. I think in our culture in particular, we have been trained to see what we want to see. We have been trained to think in terms of, of solid things, scientific things, empirical things. And often, I believe because of that, when the power of God is manifest, sometimes I think we, have, we just actually look right through it almost. And I believe that sometimes it's not that God isn't working, it's just that our eyes are not seeing and I want to challenge you with this thought. Are we, as a church, are we as individuals underestimating spiritual realities? I think that sometimes we do not count the cost. There's a beautiful little parable that Jesus gives us in Luke 14, 28 through 30, where he talks about counting the cost. And I think that when it comes right down to it, we're not counting the cost. I don't think we're even realizing what God can do. We're underestimating. My wife and I, we go to Chicago a few times a year to see our daughter. And I'm the kind of person that tries to think in terms of a budget. I think I'm alone in my house, but I, I try to think in terms of a budget. And every single time, I've been doing this, my daughter's a junior this year, she's finishing up her junior, I cannot believe that's happened. But nonetheless, we go up there three or four times a year, and every time I get a budget in my mind, I think I'm going to spend X amount of dollars, and every single time, almost to the penny, I spend twice as much. <laughs> this last time, it was because parking cost me $150. That's ridiculous. And I'm not going to tell you what I have to pay for rent up there, but that's another story for another day. But here's the deal. I underestimate it. I go to Chicago. I can't wait to see Avery. And I'm really not thinking about all the intangibles. I'm not really expecting the curveballs. I'm expecting to know what's going to happen and how much it's going to cost. And I'm always shocked. Listen to me. I think that's a pretty good analogy for most of us is when we show up for church. We're not counting the cost. We're not expecting God to do much at all. And then we walk out and we haven't been changed much at all. I think we need to realize that this is much bigger than missing a budget number. That's small potatoes compared to underestimating spiritual realities. Peter's healing of a layman exposes a few things to us in the text today. One is our ignorance. Our ignorance of sin's power. We'll be talking about that here in just a moment. That's our first point. We underestimate our sinful nature. So one of the reasons why we do not experience the full power of God is because we don't realize the full power of sin. What it does to us. The second thing we're going to see here is how we underestimate Christ's saving power. We'll notice in the text the word repent. 
So the word ignorance is in the text, but also the word repent. There is incredible power in repentance. When we come to Jesus honestly and bow before him and say, forgive me, guess what he does? He forgives. That's incredible. And I want to tell you, whether it's in your seat or at the end in the altar, every Sunday we worship is an opportunity to repent. But the third point is this. We underestimate our ability to change the world when Christ changes us. You'll notice in the text today the word refreshment. That'll be our third key word for the day. The word refreshment. It is a beautiful thing to look out at this crowd and to know that if you get on fire for Jesus, you, you as an individual can change the world. We are underestimating, we are selling short what God wants to do through us. There is more, there is more that God wants to do. Now, two of these underestimations I think really work for us. We underestimate Christ-saving power, and we underestimate our ability to change the world. But it's that first one we need to realize. If we're going to get to those second and third points, we have to begin with asking God to forgive us of our sins. And let me say this. A miracle is one way that a big God gets our attention in a big way. God is big. God wants to get your attention in a big way today, and I pray that he will. I pray that the distractions will go away. Whatever is happening in your head and in your heart, don't let those things. And I know if you're struggling this morning, as Rich was talking about, if you brought some pain and sorrow, some concern, some angst, I get it. I think we all are going to bring in some, but don't let those things be a distraction because God has a purpose for you being here. He has a reason for you to hear the word, and I believe he wants to do something grand in your life. But first, don't make the mistake of underestimating our sinful nature. Everyone knows down deep inside that they are less than perfect, but it seems like we work awful hard to try to make the world think that we're perfect. What a waste of time. It's kind of as silly as the fellow who quipped, I used to be conceited, but now I'm perfect. <laughs> what a silly thing. Why would we, down deep inside, say, I know, I know I struggle. I know that I fall short. I know that I'm less than perfect. But we spend so much energy trying to put this facade on trying to convince the world that we have it all together. When what we need to do is be honest and raw with God. Now let me say, you don't have to tell everybody everything, but you have to tell God everything. We have to be right before Him. It, it is human nature, I believe, to think too highly of ourselves. But just because it's natural doesn't make it right. I want you to get that in your head. Yes, of course it's natural. You want to give yourself the benefit of the doubt, right? I hope you do. But at the same time, be realistic. Now put yourself in the sandals of those who are in Peter's audience. I'm assuming they're wearing sandals. I don't know. But let's say they're wearing sandals. Let's put ourselves in their sandals. And in verse 11, we see that they are in Solomon's portico. Peter is there preaching. In verse 15, he has just said that they have 
killed the author of life. These are pretty hard words. He says in verse 17 that they are denying the holy and righteous one. So let's get this straight. The sermon is laying it down, saying to the people, you guys have serious sin. And let me point out the major one right now. And that is you are standing in opposition to Jesus. And he goes on to say, this is not just another man. This is not just another prophet. This is the one that Moses spoke of. And if you don't listen to him, you will be destroyed. Notice it says that in the text. He says, you are in big trouble. But then he uses this word in verse 17. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance. There is, there, there is the offering of peace. There is the preacher saying, yes, you have done something terrible and wrong. You have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But notice what he says. He says, brothers. You notice that? He's speaking a term of love and endearment to these people. These people who do not deserve love. But he says, brothers, I know you acted in ignorance. You didn't realize how serious this sin was. In a sense, what Peter is doing here is he's giving the audience the benefit of the doubt. In verse 17, he is not only giving the people, but he's even including the leaders. Now, I want to tell you, as a leader of the church, when you are in a leadership position, there is more of an onus, more of a burden, more of a responsibility. In one sense, it would make sense for him to say, yeah, the common people were acting in ignorance, but the leaders should have known better. The reality is the leaders and the people should have known better. There's no doubt about that. And Peter is not wanting to cast them away. Peter is gracious with sinners. He believes that they can be saved. He doesn't jump to conclusions about whether or not they can be saved or not. He offers them the gospel. That's what we do as Christians. We share the gospel. And we never assume that the person is either a, a believer or not a believer. That's not your business. Your business is to be faithful in sharing the gospel. And it's my belief that if the gospel could change people who had crucified Jesus, the gospel can change any sinner and turn anybody from any sin in the world today. This passage is showing us that the power of the gospel is so great that there are no sinners in the world that can uh, walk away from this unchanged. We believe no matter who a person is, if they receive Jesus, they will be saved. Now, I want to tell you something. I, I have struggled in my life. I, <laughs> I tend to be a little on the cynical and sarcastic side. Pastor Johnny, he's away today with family, but we, we like to joke about that. I'm going to tell you, that's, those aren't spiritual gifts. It took me like five years to convince Johnny of that. <laughs> he ain't easy to convince of nothing, I'm telling you. But I think I finally got through to him that sarcasm is not a spiritual gift. And, and what I've noticed is if you're cynical and sarcastic, you also tend to be a little pessimistic. And, and let me just say this. I just want to throw this out. Um, don't bring any more pessimism here. We're full up, okay? We, we don't need any more. Pessimism is, is kind of a natural way. And I, I am telling you, 
It's easy for me to be jaded in this way, no doubt. I don't recommend pessimism in that regard, except in one way. I don't want you to ever fully trust the flesh and your heart. If you're going to be pessimistic, let me tell you where to aim it. Aim it inwards. Don't trust that every idea and every thought you have is a good one. Always bring that to the scriptures. Always bathe that in prayer. Be on guard. Your heart is wicked and deceitful above all things. Never be a pessimist when it comes to the power of God, but always be a pessimist when it comes to the status and state of your heart. Sin creeps in. I'm telling you, we just absorb it by walking through this world. And when we absorb it to a point of saturation, it starts going the other way. We need to realize that the devil is subtle and cunning. He lets wickedness come at us from all directions. We may think we've covered every degree, every angle, 359 degrees. But if you were down in just one degree, he'll hit you there. None of us are strong enough to resist the devil alone. All of us are strong enough to resist the devil in Christ. Romans 3, memorize it. There are none righteous, no, not one. Remember those words. Remember that you have a fallen heart. When you are approaching life, be like a leper and say to God, unclean, unclean. I know, Lord, I need your blood to wash away my sins. And remember that every good thing in your life is from God. Success in life is more about God's mercy than your merit. If you will keep that in mind, if you will be suspect of your heart and always on guard against sin, that's a plus. Another thing is to remember all the blessings in your life. It's not about merit. It's about grace and mercy. There are people, listen to me, there are people, no matter who you are in this room, that are smarter than you, that are harder working than you out in the world, and yet have not received the blessings you've received. So why is that? Is it, is it about you? No, I don't understand it all, but know this. Every good thing in your life is because of the mercy of God. The mercy of God. So notice what I'm doing here. I'm trying to give you a paradigm where you take none of the credit, but you give all of the glory. If you get in that mode, then what you're doing is you are not underestimating the power of sin. You are always putting Christ first. You are giving him praise no matter what. In verses 18 through 25, we see that the people of God were being ignorant of, of what the Old Testament taught. If you'll notice here, from Moses to Samuel, prophecies are mentioned. Look at verse 18 in particular. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that as Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Now, I want you to realize that Peter is preaching to church people. Do you understand what I mean by that? Now, these aren't necessarily church-going people, but they were temple-going people, so we have a, uh, something analogous here. These were people who were hearing the scriptures, they were praying, they were in the Bible, and yet they missed it. I feel like this is something that should get all of our attention. If you are a person who was raised in church, 
If your mom and dad had you memorizing Bible verses when you were young, what a blessing. You've been blessed. But that doesn't make it automatic, brothers and sisters. What we have here is, is that people who have heard the scriptures all their lives are not living in grace. And they're not living in grace because they're not taking account of the sins of their hearts. The purpose of this miracle was, yes, to heal a lame man, but it was also to reveal to the people of God, the people of Israel, the Hebrew people, that they had sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The people needed to know that hearing the word isn't the same thing as believing the word. Today, there are people who were raised in church and know the Bible as well as any of us in this room, but they ain't coming to church no more. Out of ignorance, they've chosen another way. Now, what's interesting is they would say that we're the ignorant ones because we're following the scriptures. But I have to tell you, Peter's got it right. The ignorant ones are the ones who don't take the word of God seriously. But that doesn't mean that there's no hope. I want to tell you, if you have a family member, if you have a friend, don't be angry that they are not believers. Just remember, and I mean this in the most kind way, ignorance is not an ugly word. I know in the South we say, well, you're ignorant. Well, that's not a nice thing to say. Don't say that. But ignorance in its purest sense is just a lack of understanding. And if we're going to reach people, we need to approach them as brothers and sisters that we love. We need to realize that the Spirit needs to open their eyes to the truth of Jesus and to the truth that they are sinners. Remember Jesus' words on the cross, Luke 23, 34, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That's ignorance. Jesus, dying on the cross, has mercy for the ones who nailed him to the cross. Oh, brothers and sisters, that is what we have to have in our witness. We have to have a self-realization of our weakness but also we must have the belief in Christ's great strength. For every weakness you have, God is stronger. But let me tell you, our God is a consuming fire. Hebrews 12, 29. Notice God promises to bless everyone who will turn from their wickedness. Everyone must do this. God wants all of us to turn from our sins. Verse 23 speaks of those who will be destroyed from among the people. Let me say, if we don't turn to God and receive forgiveness, we are on the path to destruction. But praise God, we don't just underestimate the power of sin. We underestimate Christ's saving power. We believe that he is able to save us to the uttermost. Christ can save a sinner from any sin. When we look at the passage this morning, we are reminded that the blood of Christ was offered to those who had the blood of Christ on their hands. Let me say that again. The forgiving blood of Christ was offered to those who had the blood of Christ on their hands. Remember what they said? May, may, may his blood be upon us and our children. Do you remember that? As they said that right before the crucifixion, they had asked 
for that to be on them. They deserve to be destroyed eternally. But I want to tell you the God we serve doesn't want to see anyone perish, but he wants to see people come to life in Christ. The saving power is radical. Peter is preaching radical grace because radical sinners can be saved no other way. There is no other way than radical grace. I got to tell you, this excites me. This excites me. There is, there is a little rebel in me. Now, I'm pretty much a rule follower, but there's a little rebel in me. And, and, and this idea of radical grace is what I like. I like this idea because I think to reach the world for Jesus, to be bold and audacious as we must be, we need to be radical. Amen. We need to believe in the power of Christ. I told you a moment ago that when it comes to your sinful condition, be a pessimist, but let me say this, be an optimist when it comes to God's love and mercy. Know this, that God is able to save you and he is able to save anyone. Don't underestimate his saving power. Look at verse 19. I want to show you something fun here. Repent, therefore, and turn back. Again, repent is the key word. But notice this phrase, that your sins may be blotted out. Now, blotted out sounds really civilized. I kind of get this idea of blotting. Like, you know what I'm saying? Where you get a cloth and you're just trying to blot it, you know? That's not the word at all. In Greek, the word means more like obliterate. Now, when we talk about this, I want you to look at this text again. This is important, that your sins may be blotted out. This is not a little cleanup in aisle three at Walmart. This is blowing up Walmart and building another one. I am not advocating that. I'm just trying to tell you the words. The words are strong. Here's the deal. Translations are funny this way. Sometimes I think we have a tame gospel because we've tamed the vocabulary. God is trying to tell us something big here. When you repent of your sins, it's not a mild cleanup. Your sins have caused a mess. Your problems have caused problems. But I want you to know the blood of Jesus obliterates it. And friend, that's what souls need is a major cleaning. Not a touch-up. But something big. What they don't, hear this, they don't need a touch up, they need the touch of Jesus. The touch of Jesus is harsh on sin, but loving to your heart, kind of like a cool breeze on a hot day. I want you to know this, that, that, that yes, there is wrath against sin, but I believe that even though Jesus is hard on sin, he loves you. Oh, he loves you. He loves you. And when we go out into the world, we need to be bringing uh, the refreshing power of the gospel. The world needs the times of refreshment that you can bring. This phrase here is a picture of shalom, of peace in the Hebrew sense that God makes room, that he provides a way. Another way of looking at this is this idea of refreshing can also be translated painting over something or plastering over something, making it look new and fresh. You see, that's what God does. He takes away the dirt and the grime of our sins, and he gives us something better. He obliterates the sin, but then he gives us a new life. 
Oh, the world needs this. Notice it says here that all the families of the earth will be blessed. That Abrahamic promise comes through the church. We as the church can be this refreshing presence in the world. When we go out into the world, there will be people who will say, well, we know the history of Christianity, the Crusades, and all these ugly and nasty things. Let me tell you, it's, it's always going to come at us. Christians have made mistakes throughout the years. But when they throw that at us, here's what we need to say. We are here to bring the refreshing gospel. We are here to tell you about the love and mercy of Jesus. We want to be change agents. We want to bring the love of Jesus. God's power is always unleashed for the sake of souls, and I believe the saving of souls. And so what we see here is this miracle's purpose was to tell the people about their sins, yes, but secondly, as we've been talking about, to tell the people about the mercy and love of Jesus. So as we're sharing the gospel, we have to start with the reality that people are sinners, yes, but we have to come in real quick and tell them that the love and mercy of Jesus can forgive them of their sins. And then thirdly, I fear, church, we are underestimating our ability to change the world when Christ changes us. It is good to pray for a miracle, but what are we going to do when the miracle comes? If you have been delivered from your sin, if you are a radical convert of Jesus, it's time to get to work. I heard no preacher say one time that too many people who have been saved are resting on their blessed assurance. Do with, that, do with that what you will. And it is good to know that, that we have the blessed assurance of the Lord. But what we see in America today, especially in an area like ours, where Christianity is, is pretty strong here in Springfield. Some have said it's, it's one of the most evangelical towns in America. That may be. But here's the deal. My fear with that is, is that we are surrounded by it so much that we forget how radical our faith is. One of the reasons why we encourage you to go in the mission field is you don't realize how radical your faith is until you go into an environment where no one else believes like you. And then all of a sudden, it's a different game. When you are in a place where you can't share the gospel, when you are in a place where everybody has a different view, then all of a sudden you realize that what you are telling people about is a very radical message. And I'm afraid that too many of us have paused in our progress, that too many of us have stopped in our journey. We need to keep walking. We need to realize that when Christ changes us, he expects us to be a part of changing the world. There is no excuse for it. We have been given the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And if we are not living the life of Great Commission Christians, we have underestimated our ability to change the world. I believe that here at Ridgecrest, we are so blessed. I showed you the Go magazine a moment ago. We have outlets for you to be a part of the Great Commission. If you are not a team leader, if you are not going on a mission trip, if you are not serving in the community, you are making a choice to do that. I can't tell you how many times people say, well, I just don't know what we're doing. Well, you're not looking real hard because we have plenty of things for you to do. We need you to be bold and say, send me, Lord. We need to realize that we are called to change the world. It's not somebody else. It's you. But I'll tell you why we don't change the world. It's because we're carrying bitterness. We don't change the world because we are not giving our sins over to Jesus. We are not drinking the goodness of the Christian hope. 
And therefore, we have nothing to give the families of the earth. You see, Jesus rose from the grave, which means that every wall that's keeping you from serving him has been broken down. Why are you continuing to build up walls? If he broke it down, it was meant to stay broken down. Don't let those walls be built again. Let me say this. God's gifts and miracles are good for you personally, but they were never intended for you to enjoy exclusively. The blessings of God were given to you to share. Philippians 1.6, he who has done a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Before I got up to preach, we were praying in the altar together. Let me invite you, not just deacons and leaders of the church, let me invite you to come forward if there is unconfessed sin in your life. First and foremost, if that sin is in your life and you've never asked Jesus into your heart, if you are feeling the burden of sin and you do not have Jesus in your heart, then you are spiritually in the gravest of danger. You need to receive Jesus. He is the only way, truth, and life. He is the only answer to your sin problem. But many of us who would profess that we have received Christ as our Savior are carrying a load of sin that needs to be left at the altar. And then I say to you, if you are a believer here today, if you believe in the mercy and love of Jesus, then stop underestimating that power. You can be a person of grace. You can be a person of love. You can overcome anything in this world because Jesus has overcome the world. And when that happens, we will go to the edges of the earth, high and low. We'll go to the rooftop of the world. We'll go down to the lowest point in the world. We'll go anywhere that Jesus calls us because we can make a difference. Amen? And I'm ready to see you make a difference. If you are ready to make a difference, let me say this. What is the purpose of a miracle? Maybe this morning it's to see you saved. Maybe this morning it's to get you rededicated. Maybe this morning the purpose of the miracle is to get you to receive the call of ministry that you've been running from for so many years. What's the purpose for you today? Let's find out. Thanks for listening. For additional resources, to learn more about us or get connected, visit RidgecrestBaptist.org.